Welcome to my favorite 40%. Actually, I don't play favorites. Of course, I don't have many friends, so it's hard to play, hard to, hard to play favorites. All right, you've got to be here on Sunday mornings to keep up with all this. And you have to be here on Sunday nights to keep up with all the things we're talking about. If you weren't here two weeks ago when we started uh, this series, about, or these two lessons about heaven, you're going to be a little lost this evening probably, but I'll review real quickly. Uh, we're in a series of the year of what people want to know about the Bible, taking some of the broad topics that people ask about, especially on Know Your Bible. And one of the biggies is the end times and afterlife. People ask a lot of questions about what's going to happen when we die, what's going to happen uh, between death and the judgments, what's going to happen in heaven and what's hell. And We get a lot of questions about the end times and the afterlife, so we've been at this quite a few weeks. Uh, not exactly sure how many. Let's see. This is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. This is just the eighth sermon, I think, in this uh, series on end times and afterlife, so we're going, going pretty well for it. Uh, we started last time talking about heaven. We've gone through prophecy and the millennium and the intermediate state and the judgment and second coming and all of that, and we got started on heaven last week. And we started with what the Bible says about heaven. And there's, of course, the cosmological heavens where anything but the earth, the heavens out there. And then the Bible talks about heaven being the divine throne room. That's where the visions were that John and Paul and others got to see heaven. They called it heaven. Uh, I think that's paradise. I think that's where the Lord is. I think that's where we go for our intermediate state when we're righteous. Uh, and then the Bible talks about the new heavens and the new earth. Now, this morning, a gentleman who's one of our brothers who's doing his daily Bible reading religiously this year came up and said, I got, he's been asking me a few questions as he goes along, and he came up and said, I got another question. I was just reading, and it says the new heavens and the new earth. He said, we're, we're not really going to have a new earth, are we? I said, come back tonight, 6 o'clock. We're on that. We're working on that. Uh, the Bible talks pretty clearly about a new heavens and a new earth, which we usually just kind of discount. Uh, I always have, until I sat down and really started to study a little bit about heaven, read a few different books, and go back and read the scriptures again. Isaiah 65, prophecy, says God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, I said, well, that can't mean that. It's got to mean something else. So I, I looked at all the other explanations I could find, and the only other explanation is people who are premillennialists and say, well, that's the millennial kingdom. In the millennial kingdom, there's going to be a new earth. And that's what that's talking about. I couldn't find any other explanation except just ignore it. Uh, say, well, heaven's not going to be like that, so it's got to be something else. And it says new heavens and new earth. Uh, Peter alludes to that, uh, the prophecies about heaven and earth, Acts 3.21. Uh, Paul talks about how all of creation has been affected by sin, and all of creation is waiting to be restored. All of creation is waiting to be uh, redeemed from the effects of sin and the curse that's on creation. Not just individuals, but creation. Uh, Peter talks about destroying the old earth. 
of the elements will melt and fire and all that, either destroying it completely, annihilating it, or melting it down to a, a place where it can be renewed. And then immediately after that, he talks about the new heaven and the new earth that God is going to uh, bring down for us. And in John's vision, he saw a new earth. He saw the holy city uh, full of the redeemed, the saints of God coming down from heaven, the present heaven, to the new heavens and the new earth. And he said that now God has come to dwell with man. It has come down to dwell with man. So I put all that together and presented it in a little longer format last time and said that I've come to the conclusion that I think there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, I, I don't know much about it, but I think it's going to be a physical place that we live and we're going to call it heaven. Um, and I don't do that. I didn't come to that conclusion just rationally or without uh, thinking about it some. I think the statements and the prophecies are pretty clear. Uh, I think I've always just ignored them. Uh, I think John's vision is, you know, yeah, a lot of revelation is figurative, uh, but John's vision is pretty, pretty straightforward there. And the chapter right before it, chapter 20, we take all of that literally. Uh, if we're going to take all of that about heaven and the judgment and everything else literally, then we ought to be consistent. Uh, and the main thing that uh, I mentioned last week that kind of convinces me or pushes me that direction is God's original plan. Uh, God's original plan was for man to live in a perfect place and have a perfect relationship with God, and God come visit him every day and walk in the garden and, and have a beautiful place to enjoy and to even work uh, without difficult work. For some way it was pleasant work to tend the garden. That was the original plan. Now, if you think through that and say, well, that was his original plan, Satan messed that up, and so what he's going to give us now that will be better is some kind of a spiritual place that we kind of float around and play harps, and uh, we don't know what else we're going to do, but it's going to be really good, uh, is what we usually say. That just doesn't seem too reasonable to me. If his original plan was to create this beautiful earth, which is still beautiful, even after all it's been through and all the curse that is on and the flood and everything else, for him to start with that as the original plan, it seems kind of continue things for him to redeem the earth from the curse that it's under. He's going to redeem our bodies from the curse we're under and give us a, uh, an immortal, eternal, spiritual body. Uh, but he's going to redeem our bodies. He's not going to leave us as a spirit. He's not going to create something completely different. It doesn't say it's going to be a body. So, putting all that together, I think this at least uh, makes pretty good sense. And I'll say at the end that, uh, bear in mind this whole series I've told you about, uh, I wouldn't argue about it with very long. Uh, if you don't challenge me to a debate on this, I won't accept <laughs> Not because I think I'm wrong, uh, but because I don't think it's worth arguing about. I think the Scripture's pretty clear from what I've studied so far and really thought about lately. Uh, but it's hard to be sure about prophecy. 
prophecy is difficult to be certain about. And we said that from the very first lesson in this series. Uh, and it's, I, I won't say it doesn't matter, but heaven's going to be good, whatever it's like. If you want to keep right on thinking it's a spiritual place and kind of cloudy and you don't know what you do, but it's going to be good, go right ahead and think of it that way. Uh, thinking of it as a physical place, the last few months that I've been doing that, I'll guarantee you one thing, it helps you do what the Bible tells us over and over to do. And what the Bible tells us over and over to do is set your mind on heavenly things. To uh, set your mind on what your hope of glory is. That's hard to do with a place that you don't have any imagination about. Uh, Since I've been thinking this, uh, I think a whole lot more about heaven. And a whole lot of it's imagining, and I'm not going to tell you my imaginations um, because that doesn't matter a bit. I'm going to give you some scripture and a few suppositions, but very little. All right, let's start on page two here, what the Bible says about life in heaven. You might have noticed we sang some glory songs. Uh, that was my request because I think that's the best word to describe what life in heaven is going to be like. And we sing about it. We sing about the glory land. I'm going to glory land. I'm in the glory land way. It'll be glory for me. Uh, how many of you were at Citywide uh, Assembly last year, I guess? Okay. Third of you, something like that. Uh, brother Everett Hufford delivered the, the sermon, uh, Lane's brother. And if you, do you remember the word he talked about? Glory. Okay. And he went really deep, of course, when you're head of a graduate theological school, that's what you're supposed to do. You know, he's getting into really deep stuff. So he, he went into really deep about the Greek word doxa and told us how special that word is, and I was impressed. That's a big word. Now, I hadn't had much cause to use it since then until I got to this point. And one place I was reading said, this is the word that's used to describe heaven. Glory. Doxa. Uh, I put a definition here of it in your handout. Inherent, doxa, is inherent only in the nature of God. The totality of his greatness and the majesty of all his perfection. As they are manifested and as they shine forth for all to see. The doxa of God, the glory of God. The Bible uses that word over and over. It says in Ephesians 1, uh, 18, that heaven is glory. That, that word that's so big we really can't envision it. Now that's what heaven is. Christians are filled with the hope of glory, Colossians 1, 27. Our bodies, our redeemed bodies will be glory, 1 Corinthians fifteen forty three. We're going to get crowns of glory. Now, the new Jerusalem has the glory of God. So, to describe it, the Holy Spirit chose a word that's almost ununderstandable. It's beyond what we can fathom. Uh, so, I broke it down into three pieces, and let's talk about glory in three different ways. And this is almost all Scripture. Uh, there's a few suppositions in here, but very little. Imagining is easy to do once you kind of lay the groundwork and 
see what the Bible says about it. So I think first, life will be a physical glory. Okay? The recreating process or the renewal process or whatever happens to make this new earth that we read about in 1 Peter 3, 10 and 12, here's what it's going to create. The Bible tells us this now. I'm not imagining this. There's going to be no darkness. There's going to be no night, no sun, and no moon. Okay? Uh, the glory of God is going to be the only illumination we need. Okay? So you start to see this is going to be considerably different in many ways. Uh, no sun, no moon, no night, no darkness. There's going to be no physical discomfort because the Bible lists almost anything that causes physical discomfort. Hunger, thirst, pain, tears. It even mentions excessive heat. It's not going to be excessively hot there. Uh, it says for some reason in <laughs> Revelation. And the biggie, there's going to be no death there. Physically, you step back now and think about this earth and think about all the things that detract physically and make life tough and all that. All of that's pretty well covered there. It's not going to be there. Physically, the things that make life tough here aren't going to be there. Uh, I wrote a little supposition here. I, I expect this new earth that I'm thinking about, I think it's going to be different. Uh, somebody said, how will everybody fit on it? Well, he can make it as big as he wants. He, he can figure that out. Uh, he can make it as big as he wants. He can make it look like anything he wants. He formed this one to be an amazing, beautiful sphere. Uh, but I don't think it will be radically different. I mean, I think things will look Kind of the same, but better. Uh, the physical material, and this is where you, once you think of it being physical, you start dreaming about these things and thinking, well, how's that going to work? Uh, the physical world we live in now is designed, it breaks down, it decays. The very physics of things cause the earth to wear out. Okay? Well, if he recreates it, if he renews it, uh, he can change that if he wants to. He designed it the first time. <laughs> he, he can design it differently this time. Uh, it's easiest to think of, well, just think of it before the fall. What was the Ark Garden of Eden like? It was a really good place. It was paradise. It was perfect. It was wonderful. If he just goes back to that, it'll be pretty neat. Uh, take the curse away from Eden, and that would be a pretty good world. That was his original design for man. Uh, with sin taken away, and the curse, I mean the curse of sin taken away from the earth, I think the earth will be more beautiful. I don't know what it looked like in the garden, but when the curse came... The ground got harder to work, and there were weeds and things that caused it to be difficult to grow things. It wasn't that way in Eden. Okay. Uh, after the flood, I mean, completely tore this world up, moved everything around. 
We don't even know where Eden is anymore because all the rivers moved. All of that, he can restore it any way he wants, but if he puts it back in a pre-fall condition, uh, I think it will be indescribably beautiful. Think how beautiful it is now. Think of the things that are still left that we can go and uh, just wonder at. Uh, John describes the new city, Jerusalem, the new city, or tries to describe it. And the only thing he can do is talk about jewels and gold and its majestic size and all that. Maybe it's going to look like that. I don't know. But it's going to come and be on earth, and that's going to be the new Jerusalem. And who knows what it'll look like. But the best John could do is a pretty amazing place. Okay. Uh, physically, I think I left this out of my notes. Uh, I mentioned it last week, I think. The new heavens and the new earth. What's the new heavens about? You know, how did they get affected by the curse and all that? Or aren't the constellations still going the way they were? Or, uh, we don't know for sure. But if you think of just the basics, he's got to do something to the heavens because he's taken the sun and the moon out. There are not going to be any sources of light in the heavens. Uh, he's going to be the source of light. So we've got to do a redesign on at least part of the heavens, if there are new heavens and a new earth. Okay, physically, that was some things to think about. Now, the, the mental part of it, I think, will be greater, obviously, than the physical part of it. Uh, our intellectual, our emotional part of us, uh, you think about all the things that cause us troubles here, part of them are physical, but a bigger part are mental, emotional kind of things. Uh, anything that causes sorrow going away. The Bible says there will be a complete absence of sorrow. There's no mourning, no crying, no tears. If you take away all the things that cause those things, it's going to be a different world. Okay? Uh, if no mourning, no crying, no tears, and the things that cause sorrow go away, then it's pretty easy to conclude that he's got to do something with our memories. Okay? Because a lot of our sorrows are caused by our memories. And we get a lot of questions about this. How can you be happy in heaven if you get there and some loved one isn't there? Uh, if you have this memory of somebody and you look around and you can't find them, or you remember bad things on earth, how can you be happy in heaven and all that? Well, Isaiah sixty-five seventeen says the old things won't be remembered. Okay? But we're also told some hints about remembering things. So, and people and all that, and the people that John and uh, John the Baptist and others came back and people recognized them. So I personally think that bad memories are going to be wiped away some way. I don't think we're going to be able to remember the bad stuff. And perhaps, if that's true, then he will enhance the good ones somehow. Uh, like I say, that's that's... Supposition, except for Isaiah 65 and Revelation 24, say we won't remember the old bad stuff. Uh, I think we'll 
no loved ones. I think we'll, that'll be a huge part of the, the mental glory up there is reunion with loved ones. Uh, if you just take out the toil uh, and stress of working, you're going to have a better place. I mean, that's going to be glory. You'll have no mental stress. Uh, and it's not just from activity. That doesn't mean we're going to sit around and do nothing, I don't think. Uh, I think we're going to work even. I mean, Adam and Eve were given work to do that was pleasant for them. And if you think about it, a lot of you know some work that is pleasant. Okay? Well, it won't be pleasant to somebody else, maybe, but it's pleasant to you. And because of that, I think we'll all get to do what we enjoy somehow, some ways, in some degree. Uh, it's not going to be under the curse. All the things that give us headaches now and stress and troubles are because of sin, because of the curse. Here's another thought for you. Uh, the original plan was for us to subdue the earth, to have dominion over it, and that meant we had to figure it out. Adam had to start by naming all the animals. That was step one. And then man started investigating the earth. Even after we were thrown out of Eden, man started out to subdue the earth. Well, on this new earth, why wouldn't it be any different? Why wouldn't we get to explore and adventure and learn? If that's our thing, if we enjoy it, if we like finding new things and exploring it, he may have put so many new things in the earth, new earth, it'll keep us all busy for, well, eternity. Just figuring things out. Mentally, that's, that's going to be glory. Okay, last one, spiritual glory. Even greater than physical or mental. Uh, the spiritual nature of us that God has put in us, and we get glimpses of now. Uh, Sean got up and said, I like this. I like being close. I like worshiping together. That, that's a spiritual thing. Okay, well, think. Magnify that by 144,000. And then add another multitude. And think about worshiping that way. Okay? That's going to be glory. Why I asked Mark to sing that one old song, that will be glory for me. We didn't know it real well, but that's what the song says. Whatever heaven's going to be like, that will be glory for me. So the spiritual nature, just look at these things, think about it. This, this will blow your mind. God himself is going to be present there. And I know he's here now. But he says he's going to be there. He's going to dwell with man. Okay, what happened in the garden? In the cool of the day, what did God do? He came and took a walk with Adam and Eve. How cool is that? If he's going to be there, dwell with man, how he does that, I don't know, but he's going to do it. Uh, the worshiping place, uh, God's always had a place in one of the Old Testament where this is where you go to worship him. And John says in this new place, Jehovah and the Lamb are the temple. I don't know how that's going to work. 
But wherever they are, that's the temple. And if that isn't good enough, we're still, you read those and we're still thinking of God in this invisible sense. It says we're going to see him. We're going to see his face. We'll be eternal creatures there. Somehow we can handle that then. I can't even describe it. Obviously, I can't describe what kind of glory that will be. Matthew 5, 8 says the pure in heart will see God. I think that's talking about the new heavens and the new earth. Not seeing him here on earth. I think it's seeing him there. They will see his face, Revelation 22, 4 says. Psalm, 1, or Psalm 16, 11 says, In your presence is fullness of joy. Okay? If being here with a couple hundred other Christians and worshiping together and realizing that we're in God's presence, if that's joy, think about when you're really, really, truly, truly, physically, visibly in his presence. That's going to be full joy. Okay, Revelation 7, verse 9 and 10, talks about worship in heaven. And I think this is where we get a few of our ideas about, well, heaven's going to be, we're all just in 24-7 worship, uh, just all around the throne, and that's all we're going to do. And I guess they'll have to take requests for songs. I don't know how long that'll hold up, but. <laughs> Revelation 7, 9 and 10, uh, the first part of chapter 7, and admittedly, the, uh, this is figurative prophecy and all that, but he talks about the 144,000, which are the Jewish people, uh, representative of the Jewish people. And then he says after that in verse 9, I looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count. So that's everybody but the Jews, evidently, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in the front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And it goes on about the elders and all that. It describes a worship that, even if you take it as mostly figurative somehow, it's still an amazing thing. And the point I wrote down here is we'll be worship, we'll be, we will worship in a way not possible now. He's going to be there. We're going to be around his throne with all the saints of the ages. That's going to be a different kind of worship. Or our kids go off to Winterfest and things like that, and they come back and they say, that was a different kind of worship. That was special. We go off to family camp. We say campfire and Devo and all that. That's a different kind of worship. Well, all of those are the best you can think of. Tulsa, back in the glory days. Whatever you can think of is the best worship you were ever at. Think of what this is talking about. This will be a worship like we've never experienced. Spiritual glory. And I put over in parentheses, supposition. I don't think it's going to be constant. I don't think we're going to stay there 
because I think there's going to be other things to do. I think it's going to be very similar to here. We're going to have things to explore and see and enjoy and participate in. And whatever you love most, I think you're going to get to do it better than you ever imagined you could do it. Think of this. There'll be no sin. Absolutely no sin anywhere. Now, that'd be good enough to describe heaven, wouldn't it? If you think of what sin does to this old world... None of it. Think about getting to know all of God's saints. This just hit me. I'm going to have millions of connectors. Oh, that'd be something. (laughs) But we're going to get to know the old saints. I mean, I've said for a long time, Moses is the first one I want to talk to. I got a lot of questions for him. I just... I think his answers are going to be interesting. But when I get done with him, I'm going to have time to go to the rest of them. 144,000 plus a great multitude will take a while. We'll get to know them. And keep taking this back to this present world. How much joy and glory do you get out of knowing other Christians and other places and the relationships and all that? That's really a good part of life, isn't it? Think about it in a place like this where we've got eternity to do it and none of the distractions and none of the difficulties that come with it. last one I put down was finding all our treasures. He told us to lay up treasures in heaven for some reason. And we've said a million times that those are souls. It's the only thing that's going to heaven is souls, people. So if we're laying up treasures in heaven, we get to see all of them. And some of them we don't know. A lot of them we don't know. Every once in a while a missionary will send us a picture of somebody they're baptizing. How far that goes, nobody knows. But in heaven we're going to get to meet them. You know, I say that every year. I think about Know Your Bible that we'll never know until we get to heaven the effects Know your Bible. And those of you that fund it and work in it and keep it going and all that, all of those treasures you've laid up, you're going to get to meet them for the first time. Spiritual glory. It's going to be amazing. All right. I mentioned earlier that uh, these are things that I believe. I think I've studied enough to convince myself that it's going to be something like this. Uh, I wouldn't argue with you, like I said earlier. Uh, This helps me hope a whole lot more. We were told to hope. We were told to set our minds on it. That's our desire to think about that reward we're going to get. Uh, And I think thinking about it this way makes it a whole lot easier to do that. Let me add one last thing here. If, I'm anywhere close on this, and if living in heaven is going to be a better version of living on earth, it's going to be a perfected version, shall we say. Uh, In fact, let's say it's going to be the best possible ever intended for man. If it is, then we ought to think of it Backwards from what we do. My headline here says this is, we're talking about the afterlife. 
this is life, and I've been talking about the afterlife. If I'm anywhere close to right here, in fact, even if heaven is something completely different, probably we ought to think of it differently, that that's life, and this is the before life. Uh, Heaven's going to be better than anything I can describe or imagine. It's going to be the best. So it's life, and we're just struggling through the before life right now. If that is true, the only thing we could say is Maranatha. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Lesson is yours. If you need to respond, come. Let's stand and sing.